All right, this is Congress Two Beers In. I'm Josh Huter, Senior Fellow at the Government Affairs Institute at Georgetown University. I'm with my colleagues, Matt Glassman. How you doing? And Mark Harkins. Good. Afternoon. And we have a special guest here today. Uh, we have Molly Reynolds from the Brookings Institute, uh, who recently wrote a fantastic book called Exceptions to the Rule, which is the politics of the filibusters and the limitations in the U.S. Senate. Um, so thank you, Molly, for coming along. Thanks for having me, guys. So uh, here we are. Uh, it is, what, Thursday? So we're almost a week removed from uh, the start of a government shutdown. Uh, Democrats basically filibustered the continuing resolution, which was going to keep the government open uh, for about four weeks, including a couple authorization bills that are attached to it. Um, and essentially, they shut the government down for three days, just reopened it. So what do we think about this sort of thing? Well, I was surprised, first of all. I did not think they would shut the government down. And uh, mostly because I didn't think uh, Senator Schumer would see it in the interest of the Democratic Party to shut it down. I was surprised by the backbone they had. I was surprised they filibustered. I thought they were trying to see if they could hold the bill under a majority vote in the Senate, proving it was worthless, and then get more concessions out of that. I did not expect them to actually... Uh, I assume once it got to 50, they would vote for cloture and then see what happened on final passage and let it go. So I was surprised. I'm surprised at how much um, fervor they put into DACA all of a sudden. Uh, this is also surprised to me. And so I should say that um, I really don't know what's going on because I was I was working on a lot of the wrong assumptions. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Molly? Yeah, so I was, um, I was also somewhat surprised that... Uh, the Senate Democrats um, were sufficiently unified on uh, the question of the shutdown to uh, kind of drive the car over the cliff. Um, I was so if we think back to last year to 2017, um, Senate Democrats made it through most of the year without having to confront some of these big uh, potential divisions within the party. And they were really helped by uh, the agenda that Senate Republicans went after in the first year. Yeah. So you know, when you spend a year doing nominations, including a Supreme Court nomination, uh, where they were willing to um, change the uh, the Senate precedents so that you didn't need 60. Um, so a year of nominations and two big reconciliation bills, uh, which don't need um, 60 votes to invoke cloture, then you make it a lot easier for the Democrats to not have to confront what they're going to do about issues of uh, that divide the party, particularly because there are um, a lot of moderate gems up for re-election in 2018. And so for me, this was um, sort of a big test of, um, of that. And it'll, it was interesting to see them stick together sufficiently on Friday and then um, go in the other direction on Monday to yeah. reopen the government. Well, and, and what, you, what was interesting to me was the lessons learned from 2013 seem different now. Um, after 2013, there was this thought that, okay, well, we know it's not worthwhile to shut down the government for a policy decision. And everybody has seen that in the past, but yet the Democrats decided to play that same game again. Um, and with about the same results. Right. Well, I, I thought it was idiotic. I thought it was like <laughs> among the dumbest things that I've seen, strategically speaking. I mean, it's clear, there, there are a few things at work here. And so it's not, it's not idiotic in the sense that it wasn't unnecessary. Um, Chuck Schumer and the leaders are clearly getting pressure from the left on a variety of different fronts, particularly on the immigration front. Um, uh, and you've seen this play out over the last few months in a couple different ways. Um, one, as soon as the DACA announcement was put out there, uh, there was a lot of pushback among Democrats on how they're going to protect them. Two, there was a rules committee hearing in December, beginning of December or right before Christmas, where Nancy Pelosi, the minority leader of the House, and Steny Hoyer, the minority whip of the House, showed up to testify in front of the rules committee, which is... 
to say the least, a bizarre thing to occur. And basically their big shtick was that DACA was not included into the CR of December 22, I believe. Right. And they December didn't just testify. They were there for like three hours. or four hours. It's, like hours. Filibuster. Right? Right. it's a weird thing. Like it's not, it's like, why, why is the minority leader in the minority whip in the rules committee testifying about this thing? So that was one, that was like one indicator. Um, so it's clear that the progressive left is really pushing on leadership to stand up, right? And immigration rights advocates are pushing to stand up. That said, strategically, this was, in my opinion, a terrible move because the Democrats put themselves in a position of blocking a bill that would otherwise pass by a majority in both chambers. Um, so they Full were really, of stuff they like. Right, full of things that they like. Like a chip, some, well, things they did. some things they didn't like. Right? I mean, so I think and you have to sit Go ahead. Oh, so one sort of interesting um, counterfactual to think about is... What would House Republicans have done if they believed that Senate Democrats were definitely going to vote for the CR? Mm -hmm. So I think yep. or I suspect that some of what happened on the House vote on the CR that failed in the Senate last week was House Republicans being willing to do something or some House Republicans being willing to do something that they might not have otherwise done because they wanted to force Senate Democrats hands. That's a great point. And you saw that when they introduced the CR and it was a it was a month extension. It had uh, a reauthorization of chip, but also two things for Republicans, basically the suspension of Affordable Care Act taxes. Right. Um, that were in there. And you could see the, the line that Paul Ryan was trying to navigate. He was like, I want Democrats on board, right? I wanted to give them an excuse to vote for this or thing. Or make it very uncomfortable. Make it uncomfortable vote to vote against, right? And also, I want to get some of the conservatives on board. I'll give them some taxes. Um, we're going to weigh pay go, right? So it's not going to count against that scorecard. Uh, and then I'm going to send this to the Senate and say, good luck. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you saw them toy with the idea of just leaving town in the middle of the day <laughs> yeah. on That's Friday. Right. See, that was my that, favorite that, part. No, I see. I oh can, my god, I, that this was is so this good. is such a classic Senate maneuver to jam and leave. And watching the House bumble their way through this, where they, you know, they say, well, you know what, we're right. done for the day. <laughs> right. And then immediately, like all the senators are like, whatever, you know. These, well, not only that, and like, then as soon as Hoyer's on the floor. <laughs> in less than 30 seconds asking for the motion to adjourn yep. and they have to vote it down and it yep. just falls apart and that is to me that's such classic was, house senate you can almost see Jenny Hoyer like right. on the floor but oh we're done alright good yeah let's wrap it up <laughs> motion to adjourn Mr. Chairman right. let's get out of here <laughs> I can't wait home. to go home I got a football game to watch everybody's good <laughs> so I mean the thing that to me that was weird about what's going on in the senate or at least the thing that has an interesting dynamic to me is that uh, it turns out, at least in the initial polling's come out, that the shutdown played well for Democrats uh, across the nation. I saw the polling was very similar to that in 2013. Or who do you blame? Right, we blame the Republicans. You know, something like two to one or three to two uh, in terms of people who blame Republicans and Democrats. But the problem for the Democrats is like that's a nice national average, but targeted against people in individual states can be very problematic. Yeah. The Democrats have all the vulnerable seats up or most of them were seats up in 2018. And, you know, for instance, like Tester voting the way he did surprised me, but really more putting the shutdown, hanging it on McCaskill, right? Or even... So, I mean, here's the bottom line, though. This is a shutdown for three days. If at some point we actually get a DACA solution, even we get one before February the 8th, unless you're listening to this podcast after March the 1st, nobody's going to remember this shutdown. I mean, this is... The, the fact that Schumer... Sh quit the shutdown as quickly as he did means it's not going to have the lasting effect that the 2013 one did. And let's be serious. What did the Democrats actually lose in leverage? Well, well I mean, I, let's rewind, rewind. We're going to get to that in a second, right? <laughs> um, I mean, let's go back to how it played 
Oh, what I was going to say is it's not even clear that the longer 2013 shutdown did a lot of electoral damage to Republicans in the fall of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, given, and it lasted much longer than just a week. Two and a half weeks. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I want to talk about is there's some there's some polls out there that suggest that <clears throat> blame for the shutdown was a little bit more nuanced than uh, initially led to believe. Uh, for example, uh, between Republican Hill, Hill Republicans and Hill Democrats, they blame Democrats more than Hill Republicans. But when you blame when you put Republicans and Trump against Democrats, they blamed Republicans more than Democrats. And it was there's a there's a big mix in terms of where blame was landing. And I think that uncertainty is one enough to not do this again, right? Because I think that the I mean, public say, opinion turns you, so quickly. You say that, but I mean, I I have a hard time believing that. If the Democrats want to get DACA through, that it's not going to require another shutdown. I, how well, is DACA I think, going to go through the House without I, a shutdown? Well, Explain that to me. No, I don't believe that there will, right? <laughs> right? I think that's the only particular thing. But there's a difference between shutting down the government because of a filibuster right, and blocking a majority from getting something done and shutting down the government because you don't have the votes. Right? You literally are not able to pass something. I mean, I the think that that's a, a pretty nuanced position yeah, I, that I'm not sure... Um, and obviously the four of us uh, make those kinds of distinctions. Um, but I'm not sure if we think about how this is going to play broadly, um, that uh, that distinction is going to carry a lot of weight, even with pretty informed um, voters, um, or whether it will sort of carry it all into um, into November. When talking about snap polls about certain votes and things, I'm going to say two words. Terry Shivo. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers that or not, but the initial polling was dealing with this this woman who was essentially brain dead and whether her husband could pull the plug or not. Um, And Tom DeLay called back the House of Representatives to take a vote during the Easter recess to say that, no, you can't pull the plug. And the polling was very strongly in favor of that until a week afterwards when the House actually made that vote. Right. And then the polling all of a sudden was, what, what in God's name are you people doing? Why are you getting involved in this individual situation? So I use some care with the snap polling. Yeah, no, point. I agree. I mean, I, there's huge problems with polling in general in a polarized age. Is this just a reflection of party ID or how you feel about the president? Half these polls are just censuses of those things. But I do think like, you know, well, how do you explain then the Democrats going from Friday to Monday? Right. I mean, it looks to me like their vulnerable, their vulnerable 2018 incumbents got really jittery about everything that was going on. And maybe that was because of polling, but maybe not. So I think think that's one possibility. I mean, I think another thing that's worth thinking about is, so I'm a a big fan of um, the uh, Matt Grossman and Dave Hopkins book, um, Asymmetric Politics, um, and how we should sort of think about the Republican Party and the Democratic Party a little differently. And one of the arguments they make about the Democratic Party is that it's a kind of collection of groups that are making demands on the government. And I think if we think about kind of the part of the Democratic Party that is um, really demanding um, a solution to DACA and the issue of dreamers more broadly, but then also kind of other parts of the Democratic Party that care about the things that government does. You can think of this tension in the Democratic Party as not just about the electoral implications for 2018 and vulnerable incumbents, though I think that's really important, but also just as kind of the sort of thing that happens within the Democratic caucus in terms of trying to figure out um, what to do about an issue. 
So essentially, it was sort of like many of these Democrats, particularly the centrist Democrats, were sort of like lukewarm on the idea of a shutdown going in. They're sort of like dipping their toe into the water, so to speak, and they'd be like, nope, three days later, that was a terrible idea. That's really cold water. Let's get out of here sort of thing. So, I mean, that's sort of one way to think about it. Um, I think that um, it's, um, for me at least, I think if it had gone on much longer, the shutdown, it became it would have become harder to see a way out of it. Kind of once you locked in to a 2013 style or a 95, 96 style shutdown um, where you how you bring people back to the negotiating table and how you get out of it mm-hmm. becomes harder to do. And so um, I think for me, at least, that's uh how I've been thinking about uh, why they changed their minds between Friday and Monday. So well, one of the things so, that I thought was, Rich, go ahead. so I was going to say, if you you can, if you want to, but I would say we should transition this into okay. So now what's next? Well, right? I mean, Before I I, I want to stop by saying that I, I think Josh agrees with this. I don't think much has changed. I don't think we're in a much different spot than we were before the shutdown, except we had a shutdown. And so to me, it's like, well, I mean, I I don't know. I think people go back and forth in this, but this is the first time that I think you can at least you know, significantly blame the Democrats for a shutdown. And so to me, we're in the same spot, except now we see that the Democrats have either, depending on how you viewed it, gotten the backbone or have been reduced to a level where they're willing to shut down the government over policies that aren't part of the process. Right. And that's a big change. But otherwise, besides learning that, getting that signal that they're willing to do that, I think we're kind of in the same spot we were last week. And this, is, this has been my biggest problem with the coverage is they're assuming that Oh, well, they backed out because they got a promise from from uh, McConnell that he's going to bring the bill to the floor on February 8th if something if some deal hasn't been done. There are a couple things that are just really curious about this. One, they don't need a, a promise from McConnell to bring up a DACA bill because you have another shutdown, you have another CR, you've got the debt ceiling and an omnibus bill that you can use as a Democrat as leverage. And two, a McConnell promise is not going to get a bill through the House of Representatives. Um, so do they need a promise from McConnell to achieve their goals as they're broadly written? No, you don't. So backing out of a shutdown because McConnell promised something is not exactly the most convincing argument I've ever heard. I think at best it's a face-saving move. Um, and I think the fact that things really haven't changed is under, underscored. No, I mean, they, they can say they got the status quo plus chip. I mean, I sure. know they can say that. but They could have gotten chip and the status quo. Right, not Friday night. Government Friday night, they could have got <laughs> they could have gotten everything that they wanted. So I think that um, for me, the the next question is: is the sort of reverse of what you just said true? So, um, could, are you wrong, Josh? <laughs> yeah. So could uh, right? You should just say you're wrong and then move this, forward. This is Congress. Right? Two beers in. This isn't. Like, this isn't. Oh, oh, by the way, let's see if let's like what you pause. said. Oh, we, hey, yeah. We need to. We need to. Yeah, pause. we didn't introduce the beers. We had promised Molly. Uh, who's a native of Pennsylvania. We had promised her a Pennsylvania beer, which we completely reneged on, like a Mitch McConnell-style reneged. Instead, we're uh, drinking Farmhouse Pale Ale by the Three Stars Brewing Company right here in Washington, D.C. I've also been cut out of a second one of those, and I've been placed <laughs> I've been placed in a good old-fashioned Texas Shiner box. Um, That's, so, you know, you get... That's fine. It's good. Yeah. All right. So, my back so, to you. Why, why was why was why, why was Josh like, wrong? You're wrong. So what I was going to say is, um, so let's say uh, Democrats had voted to keep the government open on Friday night without a DACA promise, or they had voted to reopen the government without a DACA promise. What motivation would McConnell have for bringing it up in the future? Um, I mean. I think there's a possibility that there is um, suf- that 
folks like um, Lindsey Graham and Jeff Flake care enough about this that they would have tried to use some leverage within the Republican conference. But I guess I have trouble seeing how there's any chance the Senate votes on a DACA bill unless Democrats at least try to get McConnell to commit to doing so. But they could have pocketed Chip on Friday and then just done this in February. I mean, I guess it's closer to the DACA deadline. There's more It's also um, closer to the debt ceiling deadline, which is, I think, something we should all probably be talking more about. Yeah, we're (laughs) Um, Well, this is the thing is there's so many votes that are coming up, and this is is the backing behind why I say it was a strategically sort of weird move. Um, And by sort of weird, I mean dumb. Um, Is because there are so many votes that are going to be coming up that Republicans have not been able to deliver majorities on. Uh, whether that's an omnibus spending package that includes all 12 reconciliation or not reconciliation appropriations bills wrapped up into one, uh, the debt ceiling, uh, a a deal, two-year deal to raise the uh, Budget Control Act caps for defense and non-defense. These are three of three very very different issues that Republicans have failed to deliver a majority on since they've been in the control of the House of Representatives since 2011. So um, I I have a lot of trouble imagining Democrats playing politics with raising the debt limit Um, and as a result I think part of what is driving a desire to get all of these other things resolved before they uh, collide with the need to raise the debt ceiling is that Democrats don't want those two fights to be tied to Uh, one another yes I think that's I I think that's right and a week ago I would have said that's 100% right and 100% agree I didn't think the Democrats had the nerve to shut down the government on Friday, though. Yeah. And I so, think there's a big difference between shutting uh, down the uh, government, particularly no, for a weekend. I, I totally do, too, but that's a yeah. signal to me that the Democrats are in a different spot than even I envisioned. I don't think the Democrats want to mess with the debt limit. And, of course, the debt limit is also something that the administration is going to be hard for, um, which is a very different situation than the shutdown, where the absence of the administration was one of the key features of it to me, mm-hmm. um, both before Friday and then over the weekend. I, the, the president either was cut out of the loop or specifically removed himself from the loop. He didn't want to be near this at all, right. uh, either by strategy or incompetence. That's yeah. one of the most important questions for me going forward is what does the White House do? How involved do they sure. get? Um, where does Trump come out publicly for something and stick with that position? Um, or do we sort of continue with this um extra level of chaos inserted mm-hmm. into what Congress is doing by the White House. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I my sense is that there's a floor majority in the House and the Senate and whatever you want to call a floor majority in the administration in the White House for DACA. Mm. Um, maybe not the exact DACA bill the Democrats would write, but if you could get them on the floor some sort of majority to vote for some DACA bill that looks like something the Democrats want. Well, if, if it has enough other sweeteners to it for the Republican side. Right. I mean, you've got to have a wall You've got to have chain migration yep. not happening, and that's that's the like stuff that, that like uh, that the, the the Democrats would not sign on onto unless it was part of an overall solution, right? And this is what I think is important is because you have so many different issues, I right? Mean, Basically, the entire 2017 was kicking the can on a lot of routine business in Congress in order to get tax bill uh, and omnibus and the ACA bill through. Um, and basically what's left is like all of the hard stuff, right? All of the hard stuff for the Republican majority. Yeah. And if you're Paul Ryan and you want to be around for like a month or two longer, at a bare minimum, um, then what you would do is package all of this into one big Band-Aid that you're going to rip off at once, right? So you would love to do like the debt ceiling, ABCA deal. Yeah, and yeah. DACA at one point in time. At the, 
Theoretically, yeah. right? Theoretically speaking, you want to package all that together. I think this sort of the, the fact that you have all these very difficult issues that Republicans have diff- that fracture the Republican majority coming up at one big time creates the opportunity for Democrats to exact enough leverage to get DACA across the line in time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the shutdown on Friday was a little bit silly because there were so many bites of the apple that they could use. I don't know that they, I think Molly's right. I don't think they want to play politics with the debt ceiling. Well, then the question, I mean, but that is the question though. If the Republicans know that, if there's no credible threat from the Democrats to play politics with the debt ceiling, how much can they just hold out and tie to the debt ceiling before the thing collapses from ridiculousness, right? I mean, can you tie everything to the debt ceiling? I don't think so. This gets to your your point about... um, the administration and the debt ceiling, which is um, and my now um, former Brookings, um, now at R Street colleague, Phil Wallach, has written a lot about the debt ceiling um, and has made this point that um, in general, the uh, party that's in uh, that of the president uh, in Congress is willing to carry the administration's water on the debt ceiling um, as sort of a historical matter. Um, and so now you have this question of if the Trump administration comes out and says, no, we have to raise the debt ceiling. Where do congressional Republicans come down um, on that question? Right. I mean, well, we, well, we've done this. We've, right. we've done this. Right. So in September, we did a CR. Right. And what ended up happening, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump agreed to a three hours, three, three months CR. And then we did this again in the beginning of December. It was a bit different. Um, so it's well, did we raise the debt ceiling in December? We I think the debt there is the debt ceiling in um, the September deal. Right, that, but um, that was the only one. The one right. that right. Uh, only do the, one. the, the quote unquote so Chuck and Nancy deal. Right. Uh, I mean, you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know where the administration is either. Like the administration clearly wants to get some something done on DACA. They want to get stuff with it. But I, I think there's little question in my mind that the White House is pro DACA in the sense that they don't want to be deporting dreamers. And to that degree, why wouldn't the White House? tie a deal they like on that to, to the debt ceiling and pin it against the congressional Republicans. So I'm not sure, I'm not so sure that the White House, I'm putting that in air quotes. <laughs> you are not in You can't room. see them, but they're there. <laughs> they're there. Um, is Hashtag uni- two beers in. Is uniformly <laughs> pro-DACA if DACA doesn't come with other... Uh, so I think there are some folks in the White House um, in the administration who see DACA um, as maybe a thing that they have to compromise on in order yeah. to get other harsher immigration policies. I think policies that's right. That I, they, I think, think they don't want to have their bluff called, though. I don't think they want March I, 5th oh, to come. I think, that, I think that's, a, I think that's right? a fair point. They want to get a deal. They want to get stuff out of this because I don't think they want to be in a situation where DACA's expired and now they have the right leaning on them to execute the policy of removing dreamers. I think yep. that's right. I agree. Uh, okay, we should we should move on to specific predictions about how not predictions, but discussions Please about how. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, we did so well last week. Right. <laughs> yeah, what were we over three? <laughs> um, over four? Josh, you had some strong feelings this morning about how this was going to go. Uh, we have a, I mean, the the main pressure point coming up is that we have is it February eighth or ninth? February eighth, the CR expires, and so that's going to be the first pressure point. We have. Uh, Senator Cornyn saying he sees at least one more CR, so he doesn't see an omnibus deal coming before them. He's a decent source on these things. And we also have reporting this morning that the Senate Democrats may not need to tie DACA to the BCA uh, cap adjustments, which seemingly also means maybe not tie DACA to anything that they want to stand alone vote on it, and that the omnibus and the caps that would go with them, the cap adjustments, would all come through separately. Tell us what you think's going on. Well, I think they're... 
I honestly don't care what's going on in the Senate as it, as it goes forward to like DACA and the spending deal. I think all the action and importance and the leverage that's going to be extracted is going to be from the House because if you're going to pass any of these things, a the increasing the BCA caps, um, raising the debt ceiling, or passing an omnibus bill, any of those three things, and maybe another CR. I don't know that Republicans have the appetite for another CR without any sweeteners. Um, you're going to need Democratic votes. And I think that there's all the leverage in the world that if you're going to deliver Democratic votes, then you're going to have to cave on one of our... And this is on the theory that Freedom Caucus voters won't vote for a straight increase this of the BCA caps? absolutely on the theory that Freedom Caucus people are going to continue to be Freedom Caucus people. So this is where Josh and I have a difference of opinion because I believe the BCA caps can be raised without Democrats. Now, I think he's absolutely right on the debt limit. Um, I think it's a terrible vote for Republicans. They're not going to enjoy it at all, as Molly's pointed out why. Um, and I think, obviously, on the Omni, well, on the omnibus, it'll depend, but I think it'll be very hard to pa- pass an omnibus on only Democratic votes in the House. But the BCA caps, when you're talking about adding $150 billion over two years to the Department of Defense, I don't see how those guys vote against that. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I think I'm generally closer to Josh on this point, but one thing that's been really interesting me t- for me to watch about the Freedom Caucus over the past year or so is um, their transition to becoming defense hawks. Yep. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't quite get it. Um, I, uh, I will be completely honest about that. Um, and so I think um, I think that is obviously um, is obviously relevant here. Um, for me, one big thing um, to kind of pay attention to is I think there's a there's a chance that there's value for Senate Democrats in sort of tacking to the middle while they know that their House colleagues are going to tack to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if what it need if what they need to do to keep DACA and immigration negotiations going in the Senate is for other senators um, to think that they're not willing to shut down the government again, that they're willing to take a separate vote on the BCA caps while the House Democrats sort of continue to say otherwise. I think there's some potential strategic value in that. And that's kind of my best explanation for what's happening right now. Sure. Thank you for explaining my point better than I could. <laughs> I, appreciate I mean, that. I think, I, you know, stepping back, I think the big picture issue here is that we're talking about busting these caps in a way that is above and beyond even what we thought. Mark wrote a very nice blog piece maybe a month ago. Before Thanksgiving. Yes, before so Thanksgiving. So a little bit more than a month ago. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> you know, hashtag I was close. <laughs> and Mark's point was that originally the deal that was being talked about was going to undo kind of the super committee portion uh, of sequestration or the cap limit and go back to the original BCA caps, which would have put the numbers at, at level X under this deal, which was something like $216 billion total over two years, which would get us back to the original caps. But 180 right? extra more. It was like 91 uh, yeah, each. Yeah, 91 each. That. And, now, and now the discussions we're hearing, or at least the reporting that's been going on the Hill, is that we're going above and beyond even that. And that what we're going to end up with, in theory, is even above the original kind of BCA caps from 2011, which is just astounding to me. Um, and also doubly astounding that it's not working. Uh, this is kind of a traditional way to traditional way to gather up votes is to provide all sorts of money to projects people like, defense side, non-defense side. But it really looks like it still may run into a wall. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the, the thing that concerns me the most is, yes, we have broken through the, the BCA cap sequestration levels in 13 and in 15, but when we did it, we paid for it. This is the first time that we're actually going to, and we did it in small amounts, $40 billion here, $60 billion there. Um, after a while, it adds up to real money. But this is huge. And in 
conjunction with a $1.5 trillion tax bill, which adds another $150 billion to the debt per year, give or take, over 10 years, in conjunction with $100 billion that we're going to have to add to the uh, deficit um, through emergency spending because of the different hurricanes, this is an incredible amount of money. We're talking about $400 billion added to the one single year deficit, taking us possibly in 2018 to a deficit of over $1 trillion again. And nobody seems to care. No one seems to care. Well, here's the thing. Why do we offset the previous deals? Because that was the only way you could get the votes. How do you? Why was that necessary? Socratic interrogation. At the, time, <laughs> yeah. at the time, the numbers were so low. They at the time, the Freedom enough. Caucus had principles? And, 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 they, and they had not become deficit hawks. Right. Nor did they have the presidency. Right. Bingo. Right. Um, yeah. Or because, so for me, I think a lot of what was happening with the budget fights between Congress and the White House during the Obama administration was that Republicans in Congress saw that as the most fertile ground for them to have fights with the Democratic president yes. and that they could demand um, offsetting the uh the increases in in the BCA caps, and now that that partisan dimension is not part of it, uh, I think the the ground has shifted. Yep, and, and what you see is a lot more support. And not only that, like they're not voting for CRs on the premise that it's not getting a full defense appropriations, which is not something that you would have heard from the House Freedom Caucus previous iterations. Right? Um, it's really been fascinating to watch, but I still believe that at the end of the day, there's going to be some sort of pushback against a deal where. You're raising the caps and you're not offsetting it. Um, I don't. I don't think that they're going to be the votes for that. And if they if they are, if all of a sudden like the uh, tectonic plates that have been politics for the last seven years have shifted, and all of a sudden Republicans can pass an omnibus appropriations bill with only Republican votes, then we're talking about a totally different ballgame. Right. Yeah, in, in, the house, in, right. in the House, in the House, and in the Senate, right? Because no longer do they can they default to be like, oh well, they need Democrats in the vote in, in the House to vote for something in order to get anything through the Senate. Right, and it really depends on what filibuster kind of, or not, shutting right. the government or not. And it, that's a, that's a serious take, but it also depends on like where are the outside groups on this particular issue? Right. Um, yeah. Are they still playing hardball on the debt ceiling and on spending and on omnibus stuff and on discretionary spending in particular? Yeah, I think for me, it's actually maybe a little bit less about um, the offsets and more about uh, raising the. Um, non-defense discretionary caps um, because House conservatives have gotten um, rolled on that more than once uh, since the beginning of the uh, Trump administration. So if you think back to um, last year when they were writing the reconciliation instructions to set up the tax bill, um, the House really wanted a bunch of mandatory spending cuts um, in those reconciliation instructions as well, and they didn't get them. Um, And so to the extent that they have been, and now there's, um, over the the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of talk about how they may not even attempt a reconciliation bill um, yes. in calendar year 2018. So to the extent that there is agitation among House Republicans for um, cutting non-defense spending, um, they're not getting it on the mandatory side. And so to the degree that they're being asked to vote for huge increases in non-defense spending on the discretionary side, um, for me, I think that's why um, I think it's going to be kind of a heavy... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the... Yeah, I feel like the traditional traditional the post 2010 traditional game on this has sort of broken down which was something like john boehner provides a very conservative option which they can pass on a party line vote in the house it goes to the senate a deal is cut in the senate that gets 60 votes regardless of who's in control and then they send it back to the house and they have to eat it and, and, Bain- and, and boehner takes the heat for it and, he, and, the, and the conservatives get their very conservative vote and then they get to vote no on the deal and then they get to scream at boehner and 
kick and scream. I feel like that is broken down as a basic blueprint for how this is going to go. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I Well, one thing is control the administration changing has changed the game a little bit. The president's going to have all sorts of leverage. Uh, he has relationships with the Freedom Caucus. They don't want to embarrass their own administration. Uh, Ryan is different than Boehner. Um, uh, I don't think his relationship or managing of the Freedom Caucus is as good. And I think the Senate Democrats have picked up a spine. I mean, I think post-2016, the Democrats have changed, too. I mean, it also matters, I think, that the Republican majority in the Senate is now down to 51 votes. Sure, and so sure. the deal-making environment in the Senate with a Senate majority that narrow is different than one with a, yeah. with a bigger Senate majority or a uh, Democratic majority in the Senate, which we obviously saw through um, 2014. Right, right. So the CR comes up in three weeks, February 8th, and it's the exact same deal we have going now, except it has disaster relief instead of CHIP. Does it just go through? Or do we have no shutdown? I mean, I'm of the opinion that if something doesn't get done, like, there's going, well, one, there will be a CR. We're not going to get a deal or an omnibus that's going right. to fund the government right, right. on, on So I guess the, the question is, um, do we know, in three weeks, will we know what a BCA cap deal looks right. like? Right. Right. That's the big question. I think you got the broad outlines of it. I think, again, what the, the big X factor is, is deferred action on child arrivals. I think if DACA is not in place to be attached to one of the things that's going to be moving through, I think we have the potential for another shutdown. I think we CR in the short term. We have another CR that pushes us past February 8th, but I don't see a BCA deal, the debt ceiling, or an omnibus bill being addressed without first including DACA in some way, shape, or form because it's the last opportunity that Democrats will have to extract leverage from their majority counterparts. And uh, we'll be getting really, 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 really close to that deadline. We have two huge intervening events coming up between this. One is the President's State of the Union address where he is going to presumably opine on how he feels about DACA uh, as one thing. And then second, we have his budget release, which is now scheduled. Is that right, Mark? For the 12th. Saying February 12th. And presumably in there, I would expect, is going to be a lot more money for a wall than there was this time. Or at least if the administration was smart, there might be a lot more money for yeah, a wall this time. Yeah, I think the time. money for the wall they're going to try to make is an emergency. Um, I think they're going to take it off the books, obviously. And they may – I can see them attaching it to the emergency supplemental for hurricane relief as well. Um, I think that's what they're going to try to do. I think they'll look for $25 billion, uh, of emergency money and so make it no-year money so that it can be spent whenever. Right. So, now, that, I mean, I don't see – I have to think that if the Democrats are faced with a bill that does disaster relief, but also puts $25 billion of no-year money in for a wall on the border, uh, they are going DACA. to throw that disaster relief money down unless the Senate drain. Unless it has DACA. Unless right, it has unless the, it has DACA. Unless it has DACA. What, no, the, 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 I, what, I, what I could see is like, I could see them putting the, the down payment on the wall, right? The down payment. We're going to do one, like $2 billion in down payment or whatever it may be um, for that particular thing. Um, so... I, I could see that doing on like a disaster relief. I don't twenty five billion is that that's gonna be close to the amount of emergency funding that you would get for like the for the Florida and Texas and, and Puerto uh, Rico. hundred billion for those guys. Well that's way more than twenty five, but it's still twenty five. <laughs> twenty five is a lot. Twenty five is a lot. Twenty five is a lot. So you're looking for parity between the wall and the no, disaster relief? No, I mean I, but I, I think I could see a scenario where like you get an initial payment for um border border wall, uh concluded in that sort of thing and that but would the Democrats actually call it a wall? I think I think they would. Enhanced I mean, border security. I think they would. I mean, Luis Gutierrez, who is about as ardent uh, immigration advocate as there is in Congress, is saying like, "I'll build the wall for them if if that's what need be. Like, we just need to get the bill through." Right. Yeah. So I guess for me, the thing that I think is going to matter a lot between February now and February eighth is sort of 
does the Senate try to just kick this whole thing back over to the House and face and make them sort of find their way out of it? Um, it's a dynamic that's been really interesting to me over the course of the Trump administration. So it was a huge part of what was happening on the health care bill, for example. There was all of this like punting to the other chamber as a uh, sort of strategy for keeping the legislative momentum going. And yes. so if, say, the Senate... Um, does come to the broad contours of a deal on the BCA caps um, and has some sort of DACA resolution between now and February 8th and then says to the House, do you deal with it? Um, that would that would not surprise me at all. Um, and then the question is, what does the House do? So my, because we got to close up pretty soon, so my prediction is that they will reach a DACA deal on February the 5th. Trump will tweet out something on February the 6th and it will all crater and we'll close down the government on the 8th. Mm. Okay, so we are at the 35-minute mark of this podcast. As we know, any podcast that goes over 38 minutes never gets listened to. That's where you hide the state secrets. Josh, do you have one minute so on some topic? To a secret society. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think Molly's point's perfect. I think, I think this is the play that Democrats are going to make, is that they're going to put a deal on the table for DACA in exchange, with an omnibus or a BCA cap or whatever it is, and they're going to put that on Paul Ryan and essentially put Republicans in a really bad spot. Either you pass DACA and some sort of funding deal or you shut down the government, right? In which case, Ryan either doesn't hold a vote and the government shuts down um, or they send it to the president and he vetoes, right? And then the government shuts down. I think that's the ultimate play that they're trying to make here, uh, given the leverage that they have left. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. If it gets done by February 8th, for example, if it gets done February 16th, um, but it's going to be an interesting uh, twist. Molly, you have a minute on anything you'd like to share? Um, I would just say that the quicker this gets resolved, um, the less likelihood that it uh, collides with the need to increase the debt limit. Um, and I think the longer it gets drawn out, the more uh, sort of the, the more the stakes go up. Um, and I think Democrats are really will be really reluctant to play those politics. Um, and I think that will end up being uh, a factor in how um, how this all gets resolved. Mm-hmm. Mark, do you have anything? Uh, this is going to be outside the norm. I think we're going to be stuck in a place where we're looking at a full year CR at this point. If they have another CR, um, that's going to lead them to a full year CR because they're going to start getting into uh, primaries and members are going to have a harder time voting. Um, and we're going to be in election season. I mean, middle of March, we start primaries and all voting on major things ends. Uh, I would just make a pitch for people to watch the State of the Union address. I know that sounds weird. A lot of people don't watch the State of the Union address. I do tend to watch it or at least tend to read it. And I would not advise you. A lot of smart people are going to tell you the State of the Union is not important. It doesn't affect anything. Uh, it's just the president speaking words. I would tell you that, one, pageantry is important. And this is one of the key moments on the Constitution. A lot of people think the inauguration of the president is kind of the moment of pageantry in American government. That's ridiculous. This, the president of the United States coming to the heart of the republic and begging the representatives to do what he wants, that is the key to the American Constitution. So watch the State of the Union address. What the president says isn't important, but what happens is. It's very romantic, Matt. Yeah, I know. It's a little sappy, but (laughs) it's a sappy, but it's there. Okay, thanks for joining us on Congress Two Bears In. Thank you, Molly Rounds, for joining us. You were awesome. This was so great, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.